you are listening to the Spiritual Warrior Coach with Barbara Sabin, the podcast for discovering how powerful your wisdom, compassion, and courage is. Get ready to join Barbara and her guests as they explore and offer you advice on how to reclaim your power, your energy, and your authentic self. And now, here's the host of the show, Barbara Sabin. Well, thank you for joining me today, and welcome to the Spiritual Warrior Coach Podcast. I am your host, Barbara Savin, and I am here to help you reclaim your power, your energy, and your authentic self. I am a certified clinical and medical hypnotherapist, Reiki master and teacher, energy healing specialist, life coach, and best-selling author of Gentle Energy Touch, The Beginner's Guide to Hands-On Healing. You know, I have been helping my clients for over 35 years, and the older I get, hmm, the more wisdom seems to come through. So isn't it time that you believe in yourself? Your mind is going to provide you with your greatest challenges in life because it's so very, very powerful. So let's use it for positive thinking, creating harmony, balance, peace, love, happiness, and anything else that your heart desires. Because one day, the world will tap you on your shoulder and say, this is your time to shine. And speaking about shining, I'm going to bring my guest on right now. How are you, April? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, my, oh my pleasure. Uh, let me tell my listeners a little bit about you. April Davala, uh, Davala right? Davala? Yes. Okay. April Davala. She is an award-winning author and mindfulness instructor. Publishes weekly called her novel, 142 Ostriches, a vivid, uplifting debut. And Writers Digest listed her website as one of the best 101 websites for writers. And after studying mindfulness with Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield, she was certified as a mindfulness as a mindfulness meditation teacher by the Greater Good Science Center at the University of California at Berkeley, and she is also the co-founder of a very important meeting, which is an online platform hosting twenty mindful writing groups every week. Wow. That's a lot of work, I bet. It is a lot of work. <laughs> well, I, I don't host them all myself, thankfully. We have a, we started small with my partner and I. Um, I met her at a writing conference and we were both hosting these online groups, which included a little bit of meditation to focus our minds and then writing for about an hour with friends. So we teamed up and for a while it was just the two of us teaching a couple classes. But then when we asked the people who were writing with us, how can we be more useful? The overwhelming response was more meetings, more times, more teachers. So we wrangled a few more teachers and we all we all take a few and we all have time slots that we prefer. I like to lead the 9.30 a.m. Pacific time meetings because my kids are off to school and it's quiet mm -hmm. here and you know I'm writing anyway. So it's such a... It's a wonderful opportunity to just open up my writing room to anyone who wants to come write with me. And then we chat for a little bit at the end. And it's been, we started it during the pandemic and it was such a lifeline to yeah. not only ourselves, but so many people who were so isolated. But as it's continued to kind of grow and shift and 
the the people who come are are such wonderful people. I mean, it's a pretty self-selecting group who's going to come to a meditative writing group. And they're wow. just wonderful people. We have such a good time. That sounds so different. So you do meditation first. Yes. And, and then you all talk about writing and are they already authors or are they? Uh, oh. I mean, that's the beauty of it is we, we do start with a 10 minute meditation, but then I just mute all of us and we write for 45 minutes just oh. in silence. And you would think, you know, I didn't think when we started this, that that would be useful or helpful, but there's something so uh, moving to like, cause you'll have the instinct of like, ah, I hit a tough spot. I'm going to get up and go do the laundry or something. And then you look up and you see all these other faces and they're all sitting there writing too. And you're like, no, I'm going to stick with it. And you, you do, and you stay there and write. So most of the meeting is in silence. And then at the end of the hour, uh, I break the silence and I say, okay, we're done. Uh, how'd it go for everybody? And we just chat. And one of the nice things about that format is that there's no pressure on what you produce. We have people who come regularly just to journal because that's mm -hmm. how they focus themselves and we have people who are new york times journalists we have people working on their third fourth fifth novel uh we have people who've never written anything and they're writing their first poems but we don't share our writing we just, oh you don't okay no it just doesn't i mean not that it can't it has from time to time someone will share like oh i came up with a great line for my poem i want to share it but it's not like we go around and read our work it's just a place to come together and write because writers can be so isolated and it I, is wonderful to have the community. I know for <clears throat> firsthand because it took me many years to write my book. Yes. Yeah. But I needed silence. Exactly. Which is why we come together, but then we write in silence. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and I'm on, I did actually uh, on my second one right now. And, and you, you have to just find a place and you have to devote that time without any interruption. Yeah. You should come right with us. I, I will definitely <laughs> check this out. <laughs> it's something it's I look forward welcome. to doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like killing two birds with one stone because we all know we should meditate and we all want to do our writing. But when you put, that's why we called it a very important meeting. You put it on your calendar. You tell everyone else you've got a very important meeting and you meditate for 10 minutes and you get your writing done and it just turns your whole day around. It does. And it is a very important meeting. It <laughs> is. It's it a is. great name. Thank you. <laughs> Who came up with that name? Actually, my partner, Paulette Perhatch, she's based up in Seattle and we were bantering names around and a lot of names having to do with mindfulness and right. And she was like, no, but it's just a really important meeting you have to keep for yourself. And we're like, ah, there it is. There, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know it's amazing how we just get those names all of a sudden and yeah. then you know it's perfect for you. Yeah. So speaking about names, I know you wrote a novel uh, all about an, uh, 142 ostriches. How did that come about? <laughs> I thought it was uh, a re I thought it was real at first that you actually was on a ranch with all these birds. <laughs> you know, I take that as such a compliment when people ask if I was raised uh, on an ostrich farm. <laughs> I was not. Um, okay, so to explain, the story basically started off. Um, I had this instinct I wanted to write a novel. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and the stories that came to me were stories from my mom's upbringing, being raised on a dairy farm uh, near Sacramento mm. when she was young. Uh, and a lot of the stories started off that way based on the anecdotes she, so my grandmother, a lovely, wonderful woman and a wonderful grandmother, but by all accounts, not a very good mother. Um, 
my great grandfather actually showed up on the doorstep one day and said, I'm taking the kids. You're doing a terrible job. I'm going to take the kids with me to live on the ranch for a while till you get your act together. And that was kind of the, the inspiration for, I was like, I want to tell that story because she went from being a city girl living in Oakland, you know, about as city as it gets in California to this very rural uh, ranch out in the Sacramento Valley. Uh, and her uncles were kind of awful to her and she had to adjust to new school and all these things. And, um, so I started writing those stories, but I didn't, I don't know anything about dairy farming and I love the desert and I wanted to set it in the desert. So I was Googling, looking for some kind of farm or ranch or something that was out in the desert. And there's not a lot because the desert isn't great for most of those things, but I found this ostrich farm. And um, as you do when you're a writer, I pitched it as a travel piece and sold the idea. So I went out to take a tour and write this travel piece about this ostrich farm. And as soon as I got there, I was like, this place would just be perfect for my story because the birds are such walking contradictions. They're really graceful, um, but they're also deadly. You know, mm -hmm. They can gut you with one kick to your gut and they have these beautiful long eyelashes, but then this really scaly skin that just is, I, I, I don't know. And I feel family, a story about family is such a story about contradiction. You can love them and be really angry with them. You can desperately miss them and then the way show up you're like oh go away <laughs> yeah we, we family is fraught with these kind of things and so mm -hmm. i just when i saw the birds and it was in the desert which i love and it was a farm which i had been looking for so that was how it ended up being an ostrich farm i basically rewrote my mother's story to be an ostrich farm instead of a dairy farm and then what happened is as i rewrote it and rewrote it my mom's story started to fall away so if you read the book now, there's only one scene from real life that's still in the book. And that's the scene where the grandmother, I made it a grandmother instead of grandfather, shows up on the doorstep and says, you're doing a terrible job. I'm taking the girl to live with me on the ranch. Everything else has become total fiction. And oh, that's wow. the only part that still remains from my mom's story. Wow. So your family, all this began with your family. Yeah. Yeah. They say, so write what you know. Well, oh, I know. But believe me, in my the first chapter of my book, or well, it should have been a lot longer than what the ed the editor actually took some out, uh, was all about family. Because mm. my grandma was a healer, so that's what it was all about. My great grandma was a healer. So that's you're in a long line of healers. Mm -hmm. And now yeah. my daughter and granddaughter are getting into that. So. Wow. Um, I'm very happy about that one, believe me. <laughs> yeah. Because I was getting a little worried. Gee, I'm the last one to survive this. <laughs> you know, and you know, who else is going to take it on? Yeah. But because uh, it's nice when um, you have that and it continues on. So, so what exactly is, is this book uh, about on this farm? Yeah. So, this, the story is much more about the family. Um, it oh, okay. starts with the death of the matriarch, grandma passes away and the granddaughter inherits. And then the middle generation who got passed over for the inheritance descend upon the farm, angry that they didn't inherit, bringing all their old skeletons in the closets. And and it's much more about the family dynamics. The, the granddaughter has to decide whether she's gonna sell it or keep it. You know, what is she gonna, it's a story about her coming into her own as a young woman and deciding how she wants to live her life. So some of it is real, some of it is, is not. 
I mean, at this point, it's all fiction. Um, I definitely pulled some of the plot points are pulled directly from anecdotes that the owner of the ostrich farm told me as I was there for two, because I went out multiple times to once I decided that's where I was going to set the story. Uh I would go out and take him to lunch and just listen to his stories about trying to run an ostrich farm. And um, so a lot the interpersonal dynamics are loosely based on my family and um, are entirely fictionalized. And some of the plot points are, again, fictionalized, but from true stories that uh, that the that owner of the ranch told me about. That, so did he actually have 142? No, <laughs> no. So it's funny. The title is, um, I had originally, I had this very artsy title for it, which spoke to the theme and the mother's, the I don't know, the matriarchal, all of this. Uh, and I... <laughs> I told uh, a mentor of mine, I was having coffee with her right as I was starting to send out queries to agents. And she said, well, what are you calling it? And I told her the long artsy title. And she said, no, 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 no. Everyone's going to call it the ostrich book. You should just embrace that. And, and <laughs> but you can't just call it the ostrich book. Right. <laughs> uh, and so, and I had done the math to figure out how many ostriches would actually be on this farm, just so that I would know what it looked like in my head so I could accurately display it. And so rather than just call it the ostrich book, I called it 142 ostriches because that's how many there were. Wow. Wow. I can't imagine so many birds like that. And and, I mean, they're beautiful birds. They They, are beautiful and scary. They're really big. They're really big. big. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're, what, about six feet high? Or five they're like feet? Yeah, they're big. Eight to nine. Eight to nine feet tall. Ooh, that big. Like, Ooh. I mean, I'm pretty tall. I'm almost six feet, and I have to reach up to grab their beaks. They're they're big. Oh, so that's that. It would be scary. Yeah, they're like dinosaurs. So what made him have, you. Uh, I, I bet. So what made him have the, the, those type of birds? Why did he do that? <laughs> His story was so great. I could have written a nonfiction book. He had been an investment banker in New York in the 80s. And just the frenzy of it and the pace of life, he just, he had it one day. And he had read an article about how ostrich meat was really lean and it was going to be the new health craze. So he literally ordered two breeding pairs of ostriches to be shipped to his mother's house in San Diego, I think it was. And and he said, just put them in the backyard. I'm going to start an ostrich ranch. And he bought a big chunk of desert because desert land's pretty cheap. And he just was said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be an ostrich rancher. Didn't know what he was doing which is why he had so many great stories to tell mm-hmm. um, about things he had done wrong and things that the birds did that he didn't expect. And um, he told me he spent most of his profits the first year on the the vet that he hired to come out to help him with stuff because he didn't know what he was doing. But he figured it out. He was there for decades. He, wow. um, yeah, he, he passed away before my book came out. Sadly, I never got to share it with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was he was a wonderful source of stories and information. Who took over his ranch? You know, as far as I know, nobody. It was uh, the birds got sold and the land got sold, and his kids I don't think had any interest in running it. So um, that's t- it that would no be more. a tough thing to rough uh, to yeah. run. Actually. Yeah, definitely. Oh wow, bless his soul. Yeah. So let me ask you. I I, I know you you also do mindfulness and and yeah. your meditation. Uh, teacher also, I would assume, right? Yes. How has that actually changed your uh, career? You know, uh, has it helped you become more uh, creative or has it helped you with your writing? It's almost, 
it's hard to even sum up. It has changed my life and my writing. I mean, I expected that when I took up meditation more regularly that I would see some changes maybe and a little more peaceful. That's what I was hoping for. Um, and when I looked back, so after I struggled for a long time with my writing, couldn't get anything published, couldn't finish the book, was really frustrated. And I finally found some traction. This was about six years ago. And when, after the book came out and I looked backwards and I thought about what changed when my writing finally started to get some traction, started to get better. Um, it coincided with when I got serious about meditation. And at first I blew that off and I thought correlation is not necessarily causation. That was just a coincidence. But when I got curious and I really looked into it, I, I started to realize some very specific ways that meditation not only helped me in my life, but helped me in my creative pursuits. Uh, and that has really informed how I teach meditation. And I almost exclusively teach mindfulness and writing together at this point. I teach through a very important meeting, but I also do private coaching and I have something called the six week mindful writers challenge that I have for people who want to go deeper into mindfulness and writing. But to share a little bit, um, probably the biggest impact was on my ability to see and quiet my inner critic. And I know this is something that people deal with across the board. So it's kind of the thing I like to share up front is when you get better at noticing your thoughts, when you become mindful of your thoughts, you start to notice things that pop up that may or may not be true. And so if you can think about, as you know, as a writer, you're working on a draft, you write a sentence and used to be, I would just delete it. Oh, well, that's no good. And I would never, that first sentence would be almost an impossible hurdle to get over. But when you can write that first sentence and the little voice kicks in and says, well, that wasn't very good. You can just say, okay, yeah, that's probably true. I'll come back and edit it later. And you just keep writing. And all of a sudden first drafts just flow out like they never did before. And so that's probably the biggest game changer for me. But there've also been ways like learning to sit with uncomfortable emotions has allowed me to get them on the page more effectively. I used to, my characters used to be a little more one-dimensional in terms of they were very stoic and, and it, that runs in my family. I like stoic characters, but I started to realize with a little reflection that part of the reason I wrote stoic characters is because I was not comfortable feeling the emotions that characters need to feel mm -hmm. long enough. You have to be able to not only feel them, you need to be able to feel them and then stay with them long enough to like find the words to describe them, get those mm -hmm. words on the page. It is really a hard thing to do. And a story isn't much of a story if it doesn't have anger, sadness, grief, you know, all these emotions that are important to a story that I, I think I was avoiding for a long time. I didn't want to feel those things. And so mindfulness has helped me touch into those things in a way that isn't overwhelming and, mm -hmm. and let me write them more effectively which has absolutely changed my writing. Uh, it's helped me with just being a writer in general because there's so much rejection involved. People will, you, as you know, I'm sure, <laughs> there will always be someone uh -huh. who doesn't like your work. I mean, mm -hmm. the best-selling authors on the planet, people don't like their work. So there will always be that voice. There will always be that little imposter syndrome voice or the, the uh, well, even though everybody loved your book, wait till you write the next one, then they'll know you're a big fraud. Like there, there will always be that little voice in your head who wants to tell you things aren't right. And when you can just acknowledge it and say, okay, thank you for your opinion. I'm going to keep mm -hmm. writing. And I don't, I don't, I could go on and on and on. Uh, like so many ways that mindfulness has changed my life and my writing. Well, that's what I used to uh, uh, all the time, even to this day, uh, I sit for about 10, 15 minutes and 
actually meditate. And and if a of a, a negative thought does come, you know, we, we all have negative thoughts every now and then. I just ask it to leave and that, yeah. you know, thank you. You know, I acknowledge you, but now you need to go because yeah. I don't need you right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> and, it, and exactly. yeah. And when writing, um, I, I know the, the first few sentences were very challenging, but then I decided for myself just to let it go and just to be, just to put everything, just keep on typing, wrong, you know, wrong grammar, right grammar, it didn't yes. matter. Just doesn't matter. on typing, yeah. Because yeah. you can't edit a blank page. You can take a big pile of terrible writing and edit and edit and edit into something beautiful. But if you can't get it on the page, you got nowhere to start. Well, that's it. And and it, it's hard. And, and again, you do need that time, the quiet time and, and a, a, a certain spot you know, in either your home or somewhere you, where you go, where you just feel that, that more of that inspiration. Oh, I agree. Yeah. But all right. So, so mindfulness has helped you, right? You, so you've written the, the one book or are you writing others or? Yeah. So the first book came out in 2020, about a week before the shutdown, actually. So I didn't really get to do book tour, which was really disappointing. Oh. But I took that time to work on a novel too. And I am nearing the finish line. It is done. The draft is done. And right now I'm going over the first two chapters again to, they're not as good as I want them yet. I, so I'm revising, 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 but it is getting close to done. And I'm, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. I know it takes us quite I know I have about 10 chapters in my book, but it also, it's a book on, on healing and, and it's, it's yeah. more of a teaching book, but it's amazing how many times we change things. Yeah. So we finally feel that this is the way it should be. Yeah. Oh, and that's another thing I talk about in my classes. Um, the mindfulness idea of right view of seeing things as they really are. So sometimes when I go back and read a passage, I'll realize that I've I've brought so much mental imagery to it that isn't actually on the page. Uh, and this is another way that mindfulness has impacted. So like if I, there was a sentence I found in my first draft that said it was raining. Uh, and when I went back and read it, I was like, but there can be a thousand different kinds of rain. What does it really look like? Is it mm -hmm. is it heavy, like thunderous rain or is it a little spring? It, so being able to recognize what's actually on the page and what's still just in my head has mm -hmm. also changed my writing. And that's directly related to the mindfulness practice. And that's that revision that you're talking about just over and over again. Over and over and over again. Yeah. <clears throat> I know. <clears throat> I sat here and actually I wrote my book in Brooklyn. Um, and ended up finishing it when we moved here in, in uh, California. And then it was published in two, 2016. And it's still selling, still, That's you know, wonderful. still going strong. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm proud of it. And, uh, uh, but it was uh, challenging. It, it was, as you mentioned, you know, the writers actually be, do get lonely. Yeah. Because you're by yourself and you need that alone time. You do need that alone time for the writing, but then for our overall well-being, I think you also, you have to find ways to touch base with other people to connect. I mean, just as humans, we need that. Well, that's why I, I have a, a healing practice and I, I worked at the Four Seasons Hotel in Westlake oh, wow. at the California Health and Longevity Institute. And unfortunately they just closed their doors after 15 years oh. uh, in November. Uh, but I'm in, in another wellness center because I feel we, we need to give of ourselves 
and you know not just a lot of my my thoughts actually um um when i sit down with someone the life coaching uh comes in the the thoughts that i have that should probably be in a book right now uh actually come out in uh, life coaching yeah 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 and then the book becomes a way to reach the people that you can't reach in person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah it's a it's a beautiful thing uh when, when i feel you know um when we can sit and write and help yeah. others you know uh without judging without without anything just being there for them and that's uh, i mean to bring it back to the a very important meeting for me that, that's how i do that part for me as the the giving part of it because that's a, it's donation based it's a come throw in five dollars if you've got it if not just come and write uh, and for me it's so important it sounds like similarly to your healing work to to yes. make that connection with other writers and and give what i can in terms of creating space giving a little bit of guidance i mean i don't really teach much in those sessions but mm -hmm. i think just holding the space is holding my version the space of that. is important i uh one of my clients uh i first met her when she was 18 and she had a journal all about different poems that she wrote about mm -hmm. her life and one day I had mentioned to her because I was intuitively feeling you should write a book, mm. you know, put these beautiful, uh, some were hurtful, some were loving, put them in a book. And she finally did at the age of 23. Oh, good for her. And the book is published now. That's wonderful. And it's funny when uh, you, you say to yourself, oh, I'll, how can I write a book? You know, I don't, but we, we all have, I feel the ability to be able to write something because Absolutely. we all have different life. Um, you know, uh, everything that's happened to ourselves in our lives. Yeah. We all have stories to tell. I, I deeply believe that. Yes. One day I, I, I said to myself, Hmm, maybe I should write a book just about all my life stories in Brooklyn. <laughs> that would be a little heavy duty though, but <laughs> growing up in the projects. <laughs> uh, I read that yeah <laughs> it was tough but you know we survive yeah we survive so what with your process what when you did you you make an effort that you're going to write a book what exactly what happens do you sit down and write a, a table of contents or yeah uh so i it's hard to say <laughs> I've got three and a half books written. One is published. The second one I mentioned is is very close to done. I have a third one that is half written in the drawer. Uh, many ideas for others. Uh, and I, the first book I did not outline. I just started writing, and it took me eight years to write it. And it was every step of the way painful. And I, when I got to writing the second book, I outlined it. I outlined it, and then I rewrote the outline, and I rewrote the outline. And when I, before I even started writing a scene, I had a sixty-page outline, and it was such a joyous experience that I swore I would never write a book without outlining again. And then what do you know, I picked up my pen and started writing book three without really thinking about where I was going with it because it just had this idea. So I, I guess I don't. I would love to reach a point where I am producing book like a book every two years and I outline for three months and then I write a draft for nine months and I would mean, love to be that organized, but uh, I haven't found that rhythm yet. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I am hopeful uh-huh. that as my kids get older, because I have an 11 year old and a 14 year old, and they are starting to be more independent, which gives me more time and more focus for myself and my writing. And my uh-huh. hope is that as they get a little older, I'll have more space. And I would love to get to that point. But right now, it's really just <laughs> catch as catch can get it on the page. Um, edit is it? Yeah, I, so I don't have a, a solid answer for that. The one thing that I do do very well is a daily practice. So the, yeah. my husband gets the kids to school, I meditate for a few minutes in the morning, I sit down and write, I write until about 11, sometimes noon, if I have it in me. And then I switch to doing things like podcast interviews and blog posts <laughs> and all the promotional <laughs> stuff that you do around mm-hmm. writing. Um, so that that's my daily routine. And that I'm pretty good about. Yeah, I know with, with my book, uh, I did not have a table of contents or anything like that. I just started writing it. But the second one, I actually decided to do a table of contents to have more thoughts, more. Th- yes. you know, it, yeah, it, it actually made it a little easier. Because uh, yeah. the first one took me about eight years uh, to actually get finished. Yeah. And if, I don't know if you had this experience too, but part of a lot of that eight years is even just figuring out what you're doing how does one write a book what what is point of view what is i just there's so many questions and i feel like i learned it and that's actually what i blogged about um when writers digest listed my blog as one of the best blogs for writers i think it was because i was very honest about all of the things i did wrong and whenever i realized i was doing something wrong i would write a blog post about it like oh i've been jumping povs or oh, I, I did a flashback inside a flashback and it just got really confusing. So now I'm simplifying it into this. And so I would write about all the things that I was learning as I was going. And um, I learned a lot. I made a lot of missteps, but eventually got there. Well, that's that's the most important thing. As long as we did stick with it and we're yeah. determined and perseverance, it'll get done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I take perseverance over talent any day of the week. Yeah, me too. <laughs> We have to stay with it. I always, even with my with clients, it. I tell them you have to just stay with it, even yeah. though it may be challenging. Just go for it, and then you'll see it. It'll it'll happen. It'll happen. Well, it'll and happen. I know so many really talented writers who give up, and it's such a shame because mm-hmm. they write the beautiful prose, but they just don't have the persistence, and so that book's never going to be born. I know a that's a shame. It, it is a shame, but. You know, it it happens. Um, it so getting back to the the ostrich farm. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> really, that was. What more can I tell you? I know. Um, so it was about your family. Yes. Oh, okay. So it is. Um, um, is there anything that you'd like to share, like what yeah. you wrote about them, or? You know, it's interesting to write about your family or to even base fictional characters on your family because um, the. So the the main character is a young woman and her, she has her mom and her uncle and her aunt and which is the same that's my family dynamic um and it is a very female centric family uh, same with my family my uncle was the only boy after my grandfather passed away oh. uh, the only male I should say um I did have a, a a boy cousin and I originally did write him in but it, it got a little confusing so I had to make him a girl <laughs> anyway um but writing the struggles so in the in the book uncle scott has trouble with drug addiction and it's one of the things that is a real uh piece a source of strife in the family and that is very much pulled from my family my my uncle struggled for decades with heroin addiction he was in and out of prison 
Um, and my grandmother ignored it. She, she literally, he would walk in, steal the TV and she would just buy another. Um, she did not deal with her son's troubles. And so he didn't have any support in dealing with them. And, wow. and I wrote that, that dynamic into the story and took it further than the reality of my family. I take it to an extreme in the novel because that's the beauty of fiction. You can take things to an extreme mm -hmm. and, and in doing so explore different themes. And in, in this book, it's really about how people deal when they don't feel supported and the, the legacy of, of the way that we deal with things in our family. So the grandmother wasn't a great mother. And so lo and behold, her daughter wasn't a great mother. And, and these things carry down through generations. So, and, and you, and then you also have in my, in my book, uh, just to give, uh, I guess a balance to the one character who turned towards drugs and, and, to, to regulate himself, I give uh, Aunt Christine, who's fictionalized version of my Aunt Becky, uh, religion. Instead of drugs, she turns towards Catholicism, mm. and that is her solace. That's how she organizes her life and builds her family. Uh, and in some ways, that's a much better choice. Um, and in other mm. ways, it is just another way that people deal with the challenges that are in their lives. And so that was really what I was exploring in, in the book is, is how people deal with the challenges that are, are put in front of them in different ways. Yeah, and there's a lot of them, but you know, it's hopefully most of us heal from them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and in real life, my uncle actually did finally get sober and, and pulled his life together. It took a long time, but he got there. Well, in many cases they do. Yeah. So uh, does your family, I'm curious, does your family know that you wrote this book somewhat <laughs> based on them? <laughs> uh, well, my uncle is not really included uh -huh. as part of the family anymore. He was more or less disowned a long time ago. I don't even know that he knows my married name. So I'm kind of hoping oh. he never, re never reads it because um, okay. it's not a pretty picture of him. And um, I don't know. I don't even know him anymore. So it's certainly mm. not an accurate portrayal of who he is now. It's, it's memories kind of stitched together from an eight-year-old's perspective of what he was going through. Um, my aunt does know that I loosely based it on her uh, okay. and she didn't seem to mind. My mom, who was the more or less the template for the main character, Tallulah, was such a good sport. She read so many drafts and okay. never once asked me to change anything. She has been wonderful across the board. Um, and like I said, it's not really her story anymore. There's that right. one little snippet that is still hers, but mm -hmm. she knows it was loosely based on hers and that she was the inspiration. Oh, well, maybe she feels like really, you know, proud because there's a book out there. So. Yeah. So. Well, I'm sure she's proud that you've written a book. Yeah. What, you, what you've accomplished. She's been wonderful. Mm -hmm. Supportive the whole way. Yeah. That's good when they're supportive. Yeah. My, my mom uh, passed away. Um, three years before the book came out. Oh, I'm sorry. And unfortunately, my father had dementia and he didn't even mm -hmm. understand, you know, afterwards. But my sister, you know, and my kids uh, are proud, yeah. you know, and, and I said, all right, at least some of the family is there. You know? yeah. So yeah, it, it makes it nice when you still have someone that you can share it with, you know, in the family. Yeah, yeah. But um, so now... Can I ask you what your second book is is about? Or oh yes, I'm so excited about it. It's um, 
I'm actually not sure what genre it is. I'm going to let the publisher decide. <laughs> but uh, it's a story about a young couple who find themselves in the unusual position of being immortal until they decide to have a baby. And it starts in the 1700s and it follows their life through 250 years of history until modern day when they decide to break the magic and become parents. Wow. So that'll be really interesting. It's, I'm curious um, now. <laughs> it's an idea that occurred to me at my daughter's first birthday that this idea that that immortality of youth that we we all talk about and and how when she she had aged a year and yet I didn't feel like I had aged and yet now I had to I had to kind of confront the fact that I was aging because here was this person that I had spawned who was aging and I could I couldn't not be aging if she was also, aging. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But then I had this idea of what if you, I I basically just taking the metaphor of immortality of youth and made it literal. And Mm -hmm. um, it's really fun to write immortal characters. They can do things and go places intentionally that you would never do with other characters. So now have you ever felt that any of your characters, you, some of them you want to, to do what, what you're writing about? That I want them to, that I want them to do? No, that what you would like to do. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Okay. One of my favorite things about writing is that I can, it's kind of make believe I get to fall into, I think one of the greatest tragedies of life is that you only get one, right? You only get to do so many things, but when you're a writer and you can pour yourself into an ostrich farmer, I mean, I feel like I've been an ostrich farmer that I never have. And Uh now I feel like I have been someone who has lived for 250 years, though I definitely have not. (laughs) And I, I love that about writing. Um, the book that's in the drawer is actually about a, an ultra marathon runner. And I, I'm fascinated by ultra marathon. They run these hundred mile races without stopping for hours, like 20, 24 hours, 30 hours they run. I'm fascinated. So that I just dove into researching that and started writing that. And, and you know, I will never be a long distance endurance runner, but I feel like I have kind of an inkling of what it's yeah. like now because I uh-huh. did so much research and really poured myself into that character. So that's one of the things I love best about writing is it's the things I wish I could do with my one glorious life that will only really be one thing. Yeah, it's like a bucket list. Yeah, yeah, but, that's how uh, it feels. Yes, right. And it's, it's filling up in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's very shareable mm-hmm. in a way that say, if I went, if my bucket list was say to go to the pyramids of Giza, I can do that, but I can't share it with the whole world as a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little different, but uh, wow. And the, the beautiful thing about writing is your imagination just goes like out of control anywhere it can go anywhere yeah, it could go there are anywhere. whole books written on salt you can write a book on anything <laughs> you can I actually that. i love that <laughs> yeah just remember, have to sit down you have to sit down and just do it yeah i remember telling my kids when they were learning to read i was like i'm so excited for you guys you have no idea the the worlds that are about to open up for you you can go anywhere in the universe you can go places that don't exist you you can dive deep into molecular science and learn about a world that you can't even see it's so small like anything you can read a book on anything and if you don't find that book you write it exactly our our minds are so powerful they're capable of doing anything yes i believe that yeah you know that's why i i say all the time that our mind can either help us or not help us so um, it's all about being mindful, you know, yeah. of, of how we 
speak to ourselves and loving ourselves and and knowing that we are capable of doing anything that we do set our minds to do. So, because yeah. that I feel is, is the truth. Absolutely. And you've done, you've done an incredible job at it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. But uh, so uh, where can my listeners get a hold of you and, and your book? Yeah. So uh, aprildavila.com is my home base. I basically link to everything else from there, but I would also encourage anyone who's curious to join us at a very important meeting. It's just a very important meeting.com. Uh, I don't know if you have a place where you can actually put the link, but April Davila is just April like the month and Davila is D-A-V-I-L-A. My sister's middle name is April. Oh, it's a good name. I, like I it. Yes, it is. And when I saw April, I actually called her and I said, you know, I have somebody else, but their first name is called April. Because <laughs> she would always tell me, I don't know anyone who's called April. I said, well, now we do. Now you do. <laughs> They're very rare. At my book launch party, I had two friends who I had made recently named April came and there were three Aprils in one place. And our minds were just blown because that would it's never happened it's never. never we took a picture we were telling everyone everyone's like yes yeah, so that's not that big we we're like no you don't understand it's a big deal <laughs> it's a big deal mm-hmm. it is a big deal april is uh, you know it's you just don't hear it not you that know. many of us no yeah. not that many at all yeah some of the names are a little um i know this there's quite many barbaras uh but you don't hear new barbaras it's oh, interesting from yeah way back so um yeah. yeah so but yeah well my sister was happy happy I found in April okay so it's April uh com. yes okay and what's the writers group again um, a very important meeting.com okay well I thank you so much for coming on my show it was thank a pleasure meeting me. you and Likewise, um, I, I can't wait to uh, see what else you're coming out with. You know, yeah, I'll I'll drop you a line when the new book comes out. Yes, please. What you think we'll we'll put you on the podcast again and talk about that one. No, oh, I would love that. Yes. Well, thank you. All right. Well, um, I want to thank uh, everyone for listening today, and um, a big thank you to April uh, for being my guest on my show. And I hope that you heard what you needed to hear today. And visit me at motivateyourlife.net. And please subscribe to this YouTube channel, the Spiritual Warrior Coach Podcast. Uh, We're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, uh, Apple, iHeartRadio, and we've also have gone international. So that I'm really proud of. Um, And those may be interested in learning energy healing, check out my book on Amazon. Gentle Energy Touch, The Beginner's Guide to Hands-On Healing. So again, thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful week filled with love and with light. Love, Barbara.